Welcome back to Twice Upon a Time. This week, Roger and I watched Season 2, Episode 12, In the Name of the Brother. As always, we'll start off with a synopsis. In Storybrooke, our heroes are figuring out how to deal with the consequences of Hook and Rumpel's showdown at the town line and their uninvited guest, Greg Mendel. Belle lost her memories, Hook is injured, Greg is bleeding internally, and Dr. Whale is nowhere to be found. Eventually, our heroes decide that saving Greg is the right thing to do, and Dr. Whale overcomes his demons to perform the surgery. Greg claims he doesn't remember anything from the accident, but says otherwise in a phone call to the mystery her, telling her there's magic in Storybrooke. This time, we don't visit the Enchanted Forest, but the black and white world of Dr. Frankenstein. Victor wants to pursue his science, but his father is ashamed of his work and wants him to become a soldier. Rumpel shows up with a deal, as much money as Victor needs to fund his research for the knowledge of the magic of science. While retrieving a body for his work, Victor's brother Gerhardt is killed, but he manages to bring him back. Ultimately, both Victor and Gerhardt realize that Gerhardt's a monster, crushing Victor's dreams of creating life. Roger, what'd you think of this episode? Good episode. Probably one of the, my favorite episodes of season two so far. Uh, really good. I liked that we didn't go to the Enchanted Forest and instead went to like Victorian era Europe. Somewhere Eastern Europe, I would say. Transylvania. Transylvania. <laughs> I wish I wish we get more of this. I want I like to see these other characters. I like that Henry points out in the end that like he's not in the story. I wonder who else is from there. So it's an interesting kind of uh, twist without being like a big focal point right now. But no, this is a good episode. You? Yeah, I like this episode a lot too. It moves the plot forward a lot, like in all aspects, which is surprising considering that Doctor Whale is not like a central character to to the story. Uh, and there, we don't spend that much time. Most of the episode is focused in Storybrooke. The I would, I mean, there's an A plot and a B plot in Storybrooke, but I would call the the well, block. I wouldn't classify it that way. I would call two A plots in Storybrooke. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, yeah. I think that what's ha- what happens in black and white world is sub to everything that happens in Storybrooke. But also, it's uh, we said this in a previous episode. There's only really two. It's present and past. It's not like all over the place like some of the episodes have been mm-hmm. where you got past, present, kind of present, kind of past. So like this one, it's very clear. Like you get a flashback on Whale. It's dealing with his demons, and then everything else is happening in Storybrooke, which. I think the episode flows well. Yeah, and he, and while Dr. Whale is not a main character of this TV show, the episode centers well on him while also being able to be about other things. Like, he's kind of like the crux of, like, if he can't fix this guy, that's a big problem for everyone. But also, he is also a problem. To, Greg is a problem to everyone, too. Um, and also, if Whale can't fix himself, then he can't fix exactly, this guy. Exactly. Um, the other thing I like about this episode is that it is absolutely full of really good lines. Oh, yeah. Like, they're I just have everywhere. <laughs> so many lines in this episode that I love. I think we should start in Transylvania. That's great. I'm actually, now I'm now that I said that, I'm questioning whether that's true. Dracula is set in Transylvania. I actually don't, I think, I think Frankenstein is set in Germany, but. But, it, like, I'm trying to place, I guess, the era that that would It's be. Victorian. Okay. Or, mm, yeah, I I think that what we see is not what the story Frankenstein when the story Frankenstein is set. Like I feel like if you did a shared universe, they would be together. Frankenstein, uh, Dracula, like uh, you know, I know Van Helsing I think is the one who hunts Dracula, but I feel like it would be all of that era. Like I could see um, them interacting with one another if we go back to that world. So technically, I just had to Google this. Of course. We have the power of the computer, the magic of the computer. Uh, the science of Frank the computer. Frankenstein was published in 1818, which is slightly pre Victorian. All right. All right. I'm going to still say that it's uh, of That's, that same I era. I think that though. makes sense. So we find. It's oh, a we, Universal Studios monster. There we go. Like. There we go. <laughs> Universal Studios monster in the Disney world. Yes. Speaking of which, um, we did hear a Star Wars theme, didn't we? On a phone? Yeah, I actually made a note of that. And I, while we were watching it, I looked up when Disney bought Star Wars. Yeah. And it was in 2012. And this episode came out in 2013, but it was very likely when they were filming it, they had just bought Star Wars. So they... Yeah, they were they were doing a little plug there. Greg yeah. Mendel's 
phone ringtone, at least for her, is the Star Wars theme. By the way, I feel like whenever a man puts in her as the contact name, nothing good is happening. Maybe it's Scarlett Johansson. I wouldn't be putting her in her. I'd be putting her in a Scarlett There's Johansson. There's a whole movie called Her where Scarlett Johansson is her. But if she's calling me, <laughs> I want everyone to see my phone that Scarlett Johansson is calling me. Just want to be very clear. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it should be sketchy, but... I, I like how Emma says it's cute, but I think it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually shocked that cynical Emma thinks it's cute because... She kind of said it cynically. I guess, but like, <laughs> I think maybe she's like, ah, cheating guy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... Mr. Dr. Frankenstein, we, who we did find out um, last time, I guess, we dealt with well. We found out that he was Victor Frankenstein. Yes. We get the full backstory on him wanting to do his work, his father not being supportive of his work. I didn't know you could buy military commissions. Oh, that's, a, that's how you used to do it. So you could, you could join as like a foot soldier in a time of war. Sure. But when it's not a time of war, you have to pay to be an officer. It's actually quite expensive. I see. So he literally bought his son into being an officer of the military. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's what Gerhardt did, too. Oh, interesting. Like, you don't... You, that's, like, how you become a soldier. Like, you have to pay for it. So even in the fantasy Victorian land, cash rules everything around me. Cash rules everything. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I thought there was an interesting twist to the Frankenstein story here with the with the daddy issues element, especially considering that... Like, when you pull back, the entire theme of Frankenstein is about creating life or, like, being a mother. Um, but they, like, pull in the, like, daddy issues here, which is interesting. I also think there's an interesting play about the monster. Because often there's a physical monster, but people consider Dr. Franken- Dr. Frankenstein to be the real monster. But in this story, it's actually the father who's the real monster. Mm-hmm. He's the bastard. Who basically doesn't support his son. He, I think at one point he even says, I used to have two sons and now I have none after one of them's dead. And ultimately he berates Gerhardt towards the end or berates Whale and Gerhardt defends uh, Victor. And that's what gets him killed. Yeah. And he <clears throat> dies at the hands of his already dead but bound back to life son. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting because at the beginning you're... And this is true in most iterations of the story Frankenstein... Like, you feel like the monster is a monster, like a mindless monster that has no idea. But towards the end, you realize that Gerhardt is, he is himself, but not himself. He he, he remembers things. He's like Daniel. He, feels, he has flashes. Yeah. And he feels like a monster and he wants Victor to kill him and Victor doesn't. Which I'm not sure if that's mercy or selfishness. <laughs> I think both are true. I think for Victor, he's saying, I won't give up on you. But he's also saying, I can't accept this failure. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's cost me too much at this point. I'm going to succeed. Um, it's, it's also interesting to me. No, oh, you look like you had something to say. No, I just burped. Oh. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we got this episode, I feel like a little bit too late like this should have preceded the return of daniel because i feel like this would have made daniel coming back as a zombie much more impactful because you would have known the struggle that gerhard had already gone through and what whale had done so like the fact that he was willing to do this again he knew what daniel was going to potentially face like i think there would have been more stakes and more consequences it would have been far more interesting for Well to be like, I know exactly what he's going to do. You better stop him. I mean, he does tell Regina in an episode, but like, still, we should have seen this before we saw the stable boy. Or not stable boy. I don't know what that episode is. It's but, called The Doctor. Oh, it is in The Doctor. Mm-hmm. Where he, yeah. So like that should have happened before Daniel had his transformation. I agree. And I it's hard to sort of put together the pieces of how Whale must be feeling in this situation, especially in Storybrooke, because... The reason that he brings Daniel back is because he's he's like continuing his quest to figure out how to help his brother. So obviously he's he's in Storybrooke now and needs to figure out a way to get back to wherever his brother is. But he he needs to figure out how to fix it. So he tries again and to watch it's it's like Daniel is just another failure for him. Yeah. It's also interesting that now you understand why he's so adamant early in the season when he tells Regina, you need to send me back. 
Yeah. Like, he's almost like a crazed madman. I need to get back there, and now you understand why. Because presumably his brother is just stuck as a monster right now in that cell. I mean, honestly, the townsfolk of the pitchforks have probably killed him already. I think the townsfolk lose. No. The townsfolk are pretty stupid. We've pretty much seen this yeah, across mobs. the board. It, it's like a mob of zombies. One zombie, not scary. 50 zombies. They're going to get you. Yeah, true. I'm far more scared of zombies than I am of humans with pitchforks. You kill the first one by decapitating them, the rest of them kind of hesitate. <laughs> I do want to talk about Victor's face while Gerhardt is strangling their father. He's not strangling him. He's beating him yeah, into a pulp. That's true. Um, yeah, it Victor is an interesting. Looks pleased? I wouldn't say pleased. I would phrase that as like you got what's coming to you, but it's not like a pleased look. It's more or less of like I'm. It looks like at first he thinks about intervening and goes, "No, let him do what he does." And then finally, at some point, he goes, "Okay, enough." But it didn't look like pleasure on his face. But I think it was more or less like accepting of one's fate. Like his father, he realized his father was the monster all along, and thus he got what he deserved. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Uh, and it, he, Victor's also very calm throughout this entire situation. Like he gets his brother to stop, which is kind of impressive. I mean, he, he seems like a mindless zombie, but clearly he's not. He, he'll listen to Victor. Uh, and then Victor sort of checks their father's pulse and just says, you killed him. You killed our father. You killed our father. Which, isn't that what his father says to him And when he finds the body of Gerhard? He says, you killed your brother. You did this. Mm-hmm. So it's like the inversion of that, mm-hmm. essentially, as well. Uh, I want to talk about Rumpel in in the black and white world. The visual aspect of colorful Rumpel with his red cape in this world is fantastic. The gold money is also really yes. cool. Like, the aesthetic of this episode is great. I... It makes it, it adds like an interesting twist. It's it's sort of how we think of this like Victorian mm-hmm. story. Uh, and many Frankenstein, most Frankenstein films are in black and white. Yeah. Um, but to see that like stark contrast of the color of the things that are sort of uh, like magical and I don't want to say like sexy that's not right the right word but like like cool and vibrant yes (laughs) one of the things i was curious about is that rumpel makes a point of um saying when victor goes oh a foreigner you're not from here he goes oh what gave it away my rosy complexion (laughs) is the world truly just devoid of color it seems like it is when like rumpel is aware of it or they're just making a play because for us right like i'm not sure if this is like a fourth wall break or really they're all just that pale and gloomy and no color and then he just happens to have color but yeah that'd be interesting it would be weird if uh if whale was in black and white in starbrook i mean obviously that that would have been kind of hard to film from a cinematography standpoint this is probably my favorite episode of the series so far if not maybe all time because of the black and white to the color yeah it is it is it's a it's special effects but not the same like fairy tale-esque not realish it looks more real than yeah it doesn't have like the fake cgi that you mm-hmm. see like when they walk into like the castle and you're mm-hmm. like oh gosh um i also love the gold trick that he does it's not that big of a bag of gold and yet it is a mountain of gold bag basically. of holding yeah he uh he has hammer space available to him as the dark one um, but the thing I wanted to talk about with Rumpel is, wh- what does he want? Like, wh- I, I mean, I understand, like, why does he want this? When are we meant to believe that this is? Well, this is right before the Doctor. This is right before they all meet up and decide to scheme for Regina. He wants his monster. He's not care- He's not interested in the science. He's interested in making um, uh, Victor make Regina into the monster that he needs. Oh, okay. Because remember, we see that he says, you gave me my monster, now here's your heart. That's interesting. I was wondering about the timing, because the red, like, cloak jacket situation that Rumpel is wearing is, like, something that he wears in that in episodes where Bay is young. Hmm. Um, and who knows what the timing here is, but obviously... Well, we know where the timing is. It's right before the Doctor. No, that, like, that makes sense. Oh. But, but like, we don't know how the worlds, uh, these two worlds, like, line up in turn. Like, who, who they, they could operate on completely different time scales. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was wondering if it was happening 
much before that because of his clothing, but that that makes sense that it's right before. That is a deep plot that Rumpelstiltskin pulled out there. He he found some guy that lives in another realm. Well, he probably heard tales because he can hear literally information about everything other than where to find magic beans and portal hats. Of course. But it, well, he uses the portal hat to get to this place. Well, does he use it? Or does I he mean, s- he pulls Jefferson in, I guess. I don't know. He doesn't seem to just appear here, but it is not in the same realm. So that doesn't make... he that he, The Dark One has many powers, yeah. but, but uh, appearing and disappearing in other realms is not one of them. Are we sure? Because just because he can't get to a land without magic doesn't mean he can't get to other lands with magic. They can't go to... I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. There's other instances where the Dark One is not able to travel between realms, including ones that are not the land without magic. Okay. He also does mention, I will introduce you to a man with a hat. He doesn't just have Jefferson with him, which makes yeah. me think he didn't go with Jefferson. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I like that little thread being in there with like, I can place this episode. I know exactly where it is. I know what his reasoning is. And then Rumpel's logic here makes a lot of sense. Like, I like I like his motivations in this one. Anything else? In the no, I mean black it's and white a world. I think it's a really good flashback because it's very contained and it's short and sweet and to the point. I like this one. It's probably only a third of the episode, but it was compelling. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. I think really the um, the scene that I thought was really moving was the end when he has the gun mm-hmm. and he's hesitating to do it, and then he's like, "I can't do it," and then the brother basically grabs a gun and puts it to his head, like, "Please end me! Like, mm-hmm. please kill me!" And I think Daniel even said, "Please end my suffering." Yeah. So it's like the same thing. You're like, he's like, "Please just end this. I don't want this existence." But Victor can't do it. He can't pull the trigger. Well, also the fact that Gerhardt, I mean, their father was an asshole, but. He, he really liked Gerhardt. He was nice to Gerhardt. But I think in many ways that can make you hate your parent. That they like you more than your sibling? Yeah. Maybe. I'm not trying to say that he didn't hate him. But living with the fact not just that he is like a voiceless monster that has no control of his body. But he killed his father. And he didn't yeah. mean to do that. Yeah. Well, he was protecting <laughs> his brother. Yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of the early themes that we saw. He was always standing up for Victor. He was defending his work from his father. Like, I think he was put in the middle of their battles all the time, and he probably hated that because he was the one who said, no, his work is important. He doesn't want to go into the military. I, he may not even want to go into the military, but, you know, his father is the rich one who right. demands everything. So, good backstory. I liked it. Okay, so in Storybrook. I feel like our conversation is going to get a little messy here for a good reason. Yeah. Everything is woven together in this episode very well. So it makes it a little hard to have a consistent conversation. But where would you like to start? Oh, boy. Uh, Let's start with what I called Emma and Company because I kind of called them the gang of sheriffs. I like that. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Because you have Emma. You you have Emma, the two idiots, uh, Ruby, and Leroy. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not sure how they all got together. That's unclear to me. The answer to that question is definitely contracts. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) In-universe explanation. Yes, Yes, you're right. Because, like, there's no reason, like, okay, Ruby has worked with Emma in the past. That makes sense. Uh, Charming has been the sheriff while they were gone, so that makes sense why Mary Margaret is there. Leroy is the one here. I'm like, what the hell are you doing a part of this game? He's the leader of the Queen... Or the princess of Snow's guard. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, let's start there with their five. Um, their little, like, round table of conversations, which is what I thought of, actually, is, like, similar to their little round table that they have in um, the Enchanted Forest, which Leroy is a part of. That's true. Um, they start by basically hacking into the stranger's phone, who we now know is Greg. Boy, that's a gross violation of privacy. It really is. It's not... It, like, as a sheriff, it's not weird when someone gets in an accident to, like, look through their wallet and, like, sure. figure out who what their name Absolutely. is. And maybe I could also, like, maybe opening their phone to, like, call an emergency contact, for example. Sure. But that's not. That's not what they're that's doing That's not there. what they're doing. No. No. <laughs> now, to their defense, they're obviously dealing with a different scenario than most sheriffs would be because they're trying to protect a magical land. So they're a little bit uh, wary of outsiders, which I understand. Where it gets really ethically gray is when they start talking about what to do with Greg's life. Yes. And I think at one point they bring Whale in, so it becomes a gang of six. Whale says it's not murder if you let him succumb to his injuries, which is technically true, but jacked up. 
Well, also, he is a doctor, and he, I mean, I guess. He got his doctor from the same way that Archie got his PhD. He's a doctor. He's Dr. Frankenstein in his land, too. But he's not like a... I don't know if they make you take the Hippocratic Oath in the black and white land of Dr. Frankenstein. (laughs) Nor does he work in a hospital. But he's bound as a doctor to not just let this person die. Do no harm. Do no harm. Uh, I also... Gosh, what he says when he walks in is so dark. He's like, well, he's just like drowning in his own blood. So pretty soon we're not going to have to worry about this. And it's like, dude, you're a doctor. Well, he's also a drunk doctor. Yeah. He's a drunk, depressed doctor right now. Yeah. Um, Leroy is also on the side of let him die. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was, I think Mary Margaret is also on the fence here. She's no. like. She immediately says, we can't, we can't let him die. We can't let him die, but this is a problem. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yes. She's the one who says yeah. that, like, because, like, Charming is very clear. We save him, we worry about the town later. And she's like, wait, we need to worry about the town now. Yeah. She's the closest one to, like, in the middle. That's true. Which is shocking for someone who's never willing to give up on someone. She's like, well, wait, we have bigger concerns, potentially. Um, oh, one of my favorite lines that Snow gives is, I think at one point, Charming's kind of giving, like, a quick recap of all the things that happened while they were gone. And then Mary Margaret is like, what went on while we were gone here? Like, oh, well, you know, he ripped off his arm and then he brought uh, Daniel back to life. You know, a couple of things that happened while you were gone. Well, and I, David is so chill about yeah. it. He's like, oh, yeah, Dr. Whale is Dr. Frankenstein. Like, it's no big deal. Don't worry about that. Yeah. And Emma and Mary Margaret are like, the fuck? <laughs> Which is funny because the moment you hear that, you should be like, oh, that makes actually a lot of sense. Yeah. The Daniel coming back to life was shocking because they cut right to Mary Margaret and she's just like, he's alive? Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, no, that's not what we said. Yeah. Uh, I also really like towards the end with their little group when, like, Emma, Mary Margaret is all ready to go in and question Greg with Emma. And Emma's like, uh, we're trying to be a normal town. And in a normal town, the sheriff goes in and just, like, asks a couple questions. She doesn't bring her parents with her. She specifically says, we're not a group sheriff. Yeah. Which is a point that I think I mentioned in a previous episode. I didn't realize that David calls himself the sheriff. Yep. He's he not the sheriff. She is the sheriff. She won yeah. an election. And he'll, he's actually going to continue to call himself the sheriff for a long time. Like, there's an episode, I think in season three, where he says, that's why we have two sheriffs. Does she check him on that? No. Interesting. They just have two sheriffs. I also like that uh, when after she drops that line of, you don't bring your parents in, Charming's like, yeah, that's probably true. To be fair... Usually in a town of this size, a sheriff and a deputy sheriff is probably all that you need for any town business. Yep. A lot of fucking shit goes on (laughs) in this town. And uh, you probably need a sheriff on duty 24-7. And I also think Charming (laughs) would win an election for deputy sheriff. Oh, totally. You don't don't have to run for deputy sheriff. Oh, that's right. That's an appointed position. I also think, if we're being honest, if Charming versus Emma happened, I think Charming would win that uh, election. Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure. Charming has protected and, and won wars against kingdoms for these people. Emma really has not shown that ability. And That's they're true. dealing with magical threats now. That's true. Uh, Emma's superpower is once again broken. I am no longer referring to it as a superpower. <laughs> you can't be able to fly and never be able to fly. That thing is as broken as the McDonald's ice cream machine. It never works. She is very sure about Hook not lying about not knowing where Cora is. And she's also sure. That's true. He doesn't know where she is. That is a very He doesn't clear, know what she wants, though. She, it's a lie of omission that mm-hmm. she should be able to see through. Um, I'll get to Emma. Also, she doesn't see that Greg is lying to her. Oh, yeah, I know. Because she is lying with a terrible lie. Like, she's barely walking herself through it. Um, yeah, her superpower is just a faint intuition that someone is lying. Also, so there are many great lines that are delivered by people. And this is more or less a frustration with the actress. She tries to deliver this line menacingly to Hook about, like, if I were going to pick Dead Guy of the Year, I'd pick you. And it comes off as flat as a pancake to me. <laughs> it was it's pretty flat. Bad. It was like, bad. If, if that had been any of the other actors and actresses in this episode, they would have done it with some emphasis. And she just does it in this, like, boring, like, it's not menacing. It isn't, it's just awful. Like, I'm like, what is she doing here? I think what what's going on is that she was trying, she wasn't trying to be straight up menacing. I think she was trying to be menacing, flirty, 
and a little sarcastic all at the same time, and that's just like way too much for her to pull off. If that had been Regina delivering that oh, line, absolutely, we would have gotten all three of those things conveyed very well. Hook very convincingly d- delivered. Everything is still intact, which is more than can be said for other bad days I've had. <laughs> I appreciate that he's being a lech, even basically oh, totally. on his deathbed. He also looks so silly in that goddamn bathrobe. He looks silly in his pirate gear, to be fair. <laughs> but that's it's, that's what he's supposed to wear. Now he's wearing light colors, which we've never seen. Ever. <laughs> and it's like a fluffy bathrobe. Also, can we point out that he has literally no remorse for hurting Belle? Yeah, none at all. Good Not guy hook here. a little bit. Terrible human being. Um, in the previous episode, we were arguing about why you should have killed Hook. This is why he should have killed Hook. Because he's willing to do it again. <laughs> and Rumpel's threat... When at the end, if anything happens to Belle, I'm going to kill all of you. And he he means that. He has, he doesn't even care that Henry's around. He's like, I'm going to kill That's all of you. That's the worst part. I mean, it's a great line. Great delivery. He 100% means it. He deliberately looks Henry right in the face when he finishes yeah, that sentence. He does. Because he says, I'm going to kill all of you. You. <laughs> You well, small child. He's not. Pl- Listen, if there's of the people in that room, I expect to get things done. Henry be the one who I know can get some stuff done. He should make sure that Belle doesn't die. Uh, yeah. So as far as going back to Emma and company. Oh, last thing I want to bring up with her. At the end, when they're kind of back in the loft and they're sitting around, I guess the countertop. She brings up, or so she tells Henry, who had missed the whole episode, basically, that Whale is Frankenstein, who's like, oh, that makes sense. And she's like, well, we didn't all know him as well as some other people. Very clearly alluding to the fact, in front of Mary Margaret and Charming, <laughs> that they slept together. And she's like, what? And Henry, of course, is completely confused because he does not know what sex is. Why does she bring that up? I don't know. That was a really strange choice. That was bizarre. Like, why would you bring up who your mom slept with in front of your mom and dad? And then, of course, Mary Margaret's like, we were cursed. And then Charming kind of tries to play it off, too. But it's like, I, that was a bizarre choice by Emma here. I don't it was know. a really weird choice. This is not a good... There are many good lines delivered in this episode, and like two of the worst come from Emma. Yeah. I, I don't understand her character in this episode half the time. I, did, I did really like... Um... So Henry, as you said earlier, makes the note about like, oh, Dr. Frankenstein isn't in this book. Like, that's interesting. Um, It makes you think about all the other characters that could be in Storybrooke that we don't know about. Uh, Oh, please let there be an episode where Dracula's running around Storybrooke. (laughs) I also really like that they made the joke about how everyone thinks, because you... You were saying you made the very astute point that part of the thing about Frankenstein is that we call the monster, but like Dr. Frankenstein is actually the monster. But another thing that most people do is that they think that the monster's name is Frankenstein. Like it's a very common thing. Um, and Henry corrects Emma when she makes that joke. <laughs> That's right. She, he says the monster was Frankenstein. Because he says something about like he's Dr. Frankenstein without the bolts in his neck. And, and Henry's like, that was the monster. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also finally get in that same scene in the apartment. Uh, so Emma made this deal with Mr. Gold. In Way back. Episode four of season one. So over a full season over ago. Over a full season ago. And it's finally getting cashed in. Now, in the cold open, or they actually do allude to, if you watch it like on what we were watching on Disney+, Plus. He's in the hospital, same hospital, with Emma during that thing when they make their deal. And they do show that, and I had no idea why they showed that until the very end. Do you mean the last time on? Yeah, last time on, Once Upon a Time. Mm -hmm. That's when they they show that conversation real quick. And I was like, oh, that's a good, like, beginning of the episode, end of the episode twist. Um, And he says you do honor your agreements. He basically said, and I also like his reasoning for it, which is, I need to leave now because... Every moment that I'm gone is one less moment that I want to kill Hook. Yes. He makes it very clear that either you go with me or I'm going to go murder him. Yep. Which is like, you know what? Good threat. I think that's a really smart move. Before he drops, you know. And if any harm comes to Belle, I'm killing all of you. It's true. Back at the hospital, Rumpel also delivers a really good zinger. When they had the audacity, when Dr. Will had the audacity to ask Mr. Gold to fix Greg Mendel... Because for some reason, well, I guess he's drunk, but Dr. Whale feels like he can't because he mm-hmm. is struggling with his demons. And uh, 
Rumble just says, so glad I don't give a damn. <laughs> uh, you say audacity. Do you think it was ridiculous for him to ask Gold this? It was, I mean, I guess if he was willing to make a deal, no. But that, he didn't offer anything in exchange. I feel like he was trying. I guess it is not unreasonable to, to ask the person who was seen performing magic to try to deal with this situation. But saving this person is not dealing with that situation in the way that Mr. Gold would deal with that situation. So also remember, Whale did go to him to get his arm repaired. That's true. So I could see why he would think this is the right call, but I think I know Rumpel well enough to go like, I know how he's going to deal with this situation. This man's going to either die or lose his memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to move to Rumpel? Is our next... Uh character to talk about um or you want to talk about someone else instead no we can talk about rumple uh did he try true love's kiss yeah that was actually where i was gonna go i was trying to decide if this was part of the a plot or the b plot and i think it's part of the a plot because it's part of the accident yeah <laughs> but um yeah i think he tried true love's kiss and it didn't work and her response man emily raven emily deraven however you say her name really good screamer like that like she screams bloody murder when he tries to kiss her <laughs> which is it's interesting that it didn't work i guess they don't share true love though they have in the past so i'm shocked that it wasn't able to restore her memories mm-hmm. it was actually a logical play by rumple she has no idea why this old man who she doesn't recognize is trying to kiss her so she screams and bloody murder scream it's uh yeah, no, it's really well done. I also feel really bad. So she, the, that actress is also in Lost. And there is a very significant storyline that lasts for many, many, many episodes in which she has lost her memory. <laughs> so she's really good at playing an amnesiac. Okay, got it. Um, he is desperate to get her memories back. Like that, that altercation that they have with the cup is kind of painful to watch. Like, he wants her to remember so bad, and she's just not having any of it. Um, I, I I like that scene a lot. There was I was listening to one of our previous episodes, and you had mentioned that you didn't think Rumpel emoted that much. No, you're right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think what I was trying to say is that Rumpel, he's not bad at emoting, but he he's careful about who he chooses to be open he plays things close to the vest yeah yes i I agree with you but like that episode without saying a word you can see the hurt Mm -hmm. and the sadness and that just like she just doesn't recognize me and like he hates the fact that she looks at him like he's a monster Mm -hmm. because she's never really looked at him like that i think i even said that it's like she's more afraid of him now than she was when she initially met him and he was still a monstrous dark one like she looks terrified of gold right now um I think he delivers the line that is the theme of his entire life when he's talking to Cora in his shop. He talks about, I thought you were dead, but disappointment's just a part of life. That, yeah. that is pretty much Rumpel's entire life. The yeah. woman he loved left him for a marauding cur. His son dropped through a portal because he made the wrong choice. Belle's lost his me- her memories. He's broken the curse and now he can leave. Oh wait, he's still trapped. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Also very interesting that we've seen, I'm thinking back to the conversation that Regina and Rumpel have in Granny's Diner when Regina tells him that Cora is alive and they sort of have this like, oh, she's super scary. Like we have to make sure she doesn't come back here. And he seems genuinely frightened of Cora. I mean, not that he can't handle it, but like she's, she's a formidable enemy that I actually am concerned about. And here we see something a little different. They have a some sort of romantic history. They share a kiss. Uh, we knew that he was her teacher. She master. Him master, which I don't love. Uh, <laughs> you do realize that's manipulation, right? Of course, but it was still creepy. Was yeah, creepy. but the whole point is she's playing to his ego. I know. It was very creepy. There's uh, also core calling anyone master is such a weird play. Like, so it's well weird. done. But the their relationship is a lot more compl- complicated than we thought it was. Yeah, I also don't think he's afraid of her because of she. he can't handle her. I think he's afraid of her because that Belle is in the play, uh, picture. That's what he's actually scared of. Maybe, but he... I mean, that's what Regina says. He has feelings for Cora. Oh, I don't think that's true. That's that, absolutely true. That kiss showed 
everything. I'm not trying to say that he still does. Oh, he did have feelings. Yes, and sure. and there's like a complicated like he has complicated feelings, and he has lost to her before. In a different way. Yes, but. Yeah, I would say that he had feelings for her once, but I don't... Like, the way that he kisses her is stone-faced and um, not the way that he kisses Belle. No, absolutely not. Yeah, he, he very much is... Well, he's also her. just come off of trying to get his girlfriend to wake up, and he's sad that she doesn't remember him. Sure. But, like, Rumpel could be as sad about anything as he wants. If Belle shows up, he is immediately lit up like a schoolboy. That's true. Yeah. She also knows exactly what he wants. She brings him the one thing that he absolutely can't live without. <laughs> she learned from the master. She did. I also like that she asks him for the same thing that he wants Ash Charming for, which is literally just peace. Uh-huh. Stay out of my way. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking for your assistance. Just leave me alone. And Rumpel's more than happy to grant that to him. He is, although he seems a little cautious because I think he knows that while he always keeps his deals, she does not. Yeah. <laughs> and she's she's always running a manipulation. But I don't think that she's lying. It's her her performance in this episode is really interesting because it's hard to get into what what she actually wants. It's it's hard for me to believe that what she wants is for Regina to love her. I feel like she has an ulterior motive and I don't know what it is. No, I do think that is true. I think the difference is she wants her definition of love is different and twisted and perverted than what I think a normal person's definition yeah. of love would be. So what she wants is Regina to embrace the monster inside of her and be the, the daughter she always wanted her to be. Do you not sneak into your daughter's house and smell her clothing when she's not home? Is that is that not how you express your love? I assumed that was normal behavior. I see. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the more creepy... Uh, so creepy! Yeah. Just sniffing her clothes. I was like, what in the heck? Great! I love um, the actress who plays her because she is so Hershey, yeah. just just eerie. Like she's just creepy. Like it, it, there is something about a villain that just makes your skin crawl. You go like you're a sick person. <sighs> yeah. Well, and Regina is. Reg I really like Regina in this episode too. Um, we don't get very much of it. But oh, do you? You don't? I like the acting. I do not like the character choices in this episode. <sighs> I do love her um, recreation of her office in her crypt. I think that's really cool. <laughs> I would have preferred instead of it being a door, just a walkway through the mirror, though. That would have been much cooler to me. No, okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. I, go ahead. I'll let you start with Regina. Um, she's pretty terrified when Henry turns <laughs> into Cora. Is, is your son turning into your mother who you thought was dead not terrifying? Mm, yeah, that should be pretty normal. Uh... Cora kind of gives her an apology, and they're both really teary-eyed. And it's... I Regina also is, like, not buying it. Yeah. She's just like, nope. <laughs> and I think I think the weird thing is that Cora sort of means it, but she's not being genuine, fully genuine. Like, she means... She means the words that she's saying, but she doesn't mean it, like, from the heart. Because what she wants is never actually what Regina wants. What's the line that Charming gives to uh, Rumpel when they do Honesty the of the heart versus uh, literal truth, yeah. Yes, it is that. I also love the um, the line that Regina drops, Henry, Emma, and the two idiots. <laughs> Just hilarious. Okay, so I think it's interesting that you don't see this as good character growth for Regina. Uh, Cora says, I wanted to show you what these people really think of you. Because mm -hmm. Regina rightfully just throws out, what the fuck do you mean with this fucking apology? You just tried to frame me for murder. And her mom's like, I just, it was, it was only temporary. <laughs> and I wanted to show you what these people think of you. You want to be broken. She actually says that. So she's really trying to, she's, she's trying to show Regina like, all of these people that she has surrounded herself with. Before you keep going, she apologizes for the thing that isn't even the worst thing she's done to Regina. Oh, absolutely. I she shouldn't totally have made, ma made you marry the king. I shouldn't have crushed your true love's heart. Probably is the thing you should be apologizing absolutely. for. Absolutely. Absolutely. But in her mind, that isn't the biggest grave concept. Like, that's, I think, the thing that's twisted about that. Yeah. Is that she sees that as the biggest mistake. And it's like, that's not the thing Regina resents you, should be resenting you for the most. Right. Totally. Uh... So Cora's trying to show Regina that all of these people she surrounded herself with are bullshit people that don't care about her. And Regina says, you made an airtight case. Anyone would believe it. Which is true. 
It is not true. Literally, we talked about this in the episode where all the things that were shown there were ridiculous. I'm not saying that they weren't ridiculous, but when you have all of that evidence, you like have to arrest someone for that. I don't think arresting her is my issue with it. It's the idea that they got dumb over something sure. that we literally seen happen three months prior, four months prior. I yeah, don't know what no. the difference between, yeah. Okay. So. Cora doesn't know that, but... But Regina does. But the thing that is really poignant to me about this is that Regina doesn't immediately go, fuck these people, I hate them. She, like, has a really, like, yeah, you set me up. This is your fault. Like, she doesn't... She she flags... She, instead of blaming everybody else, she flags the person who's actually responsible for something, her <laughs> mother, and she says... We're going to take you right now to go confess. Oh, I love that part of Regina. That's great. That's not my complaint about Regina in this episode. The fact that she actually properly identifies her mother as the source of her problem is excellent character growth. Good job here. Love this Regina in the car. Why are they driving, by the oh, way? Oh, God. <laughs> I think Regina really likes that Mercedes. I get it. It's a nice Mercedes. <laughs> but, but no, I, I, I hear you. That scene, I actually kind of love Barbara Hershey's like bad like intentional bad acting in that scene she pretends to find this handprint in the car this thing has been inconveniencing me oh no what's this it reminds me of when rumple would intentionally overact you know he'd screw around and be like and then the worst part is that regina instantly is like it's fucking bullshit like it wasn't in the car you're trying to manipulate me and then it still works Regina saw through this from step one, and yet at the end, she ends up laying in her mother's arms. Like, I, I, I've said this throughout this entire season. I don't like this weak Regina. I don't understand it. Like, this is the woman who has manipulated events for 28 years, and because, like, I understand her actual argument should have been, you did this, but these people also still thought of me so little that no matter what I do, they're always going to see me that way. That would have made more sense to her than being like, I need your love, mommy. I need your love, mommy. Yeah. I get that you want your son back. That's a totally reasonable thing, and it sucks to be set up for murder. Though you yourself were stupid and did not be like, yeah, you can set people up for murder. Trust me. I know. I did. I literally... And, like, Mary Margaret should have been like, yeah, you can be set up for murder with evidence. It's not that hard mm-hmm. to plant. And so, like, the whole thing is just... It's it's turning Regina literally into a sidekick. The evil queen has gone from menacing and in charge to a weak cowering sidekick now who's crying in her mother's bosom like what the hell is wrong with regina right now cora got exactly what she wanted i guess easily yeah like it wasn't like regina didn't see the manipulation she literally called it out the entire time that's true though i do think the point that um cora makes about no matter what you do they'll see you as a snake i think that hit regina hard because that's probably true that's what the last episode did show yeah But also, you can't be that mad about that. You did kind of screw them over for about three decades. Yeah. Plus. They have a a lot of grievances. Yes. If this were Festivus, the airing of the grievances would last for days. Days? (laughs) Months. Years. Yeah. You'd just be going on. Um, Do you have anything else on that sort of, like, Rumpel, Cora, Regina B-plot? I, well, the one thing I thought was... It reminded me of a previous episode where Henry had lied to Regina and asked to go to lunch, but he wanted to sneak into her. Sad. The idea that, like, she's so happy that her son had come to see her, and then it turns out it's, it's like that same look on her face, which is like, damn it. Like, you could see that she was so happy that Henry had cared enough to come mm-hmm. find her and check on her and make sure she's okay, but it turns out that Henry actually wasn't there, and it was Cora, and it was like, damn it, my son still didn't come to see me. I think she's really good at showing that hurt when she yeah. thinks it's Henry and it's not, like... That's well done acting. That's really sad. Uh, can we talk so, about whale? Yeah, we, I realized we sort of skipped over the ruby whale. That's what I want to talk about next. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one, I'm really annoyed. I, I, I'm glad that they let whale and ruby have this conversation at the end of the episode. They were a good pairing and they had a really good conversation to have. Happy to dive into that. Otherwise, why can't they figure out something, giving ruby something to do? Like anything. That is a question I've always asked myself in this series. Because I think she's a good character. I agree. They won't... Like, make her just part of the deputy. She was actually good in that role. Like, make her a tracker. Yeah. Especially in a, in a land with magic and, and all these people. Like, uh, having a town tracker is a great idea. Like, a bounty hunter. Which is literally what Emma was. Why isn't Ruby a bounty hunter? I Yeah. 
blows my mind. Also, I like that it's Ruby going to find Whale. Ruby, the one who was uh, dealing with the lech early in the first season of Whale trying to hit on her. Now she's out there trying to find him and, and take care of the doctor. I think she also saves him. Like, I can't tell if he was jumping, but it seemed like they were setting that up. When he's holding the watch. Yeah. I mean, I guess it 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 would be hard. I guess it's winter in Maine, so he, he's not going to drown. He is if he doesn't try to swim up. But, well, you float. <laughs> Especially in salt water. I don't know the density of bones from those in a black and white. Oh, I see. You think yeah. he might have a different buoyancy point? Sure. <laughs> or maybe he's just given up. Like, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I think she does save him. I also thought her line, Regina thought she was punishing us by erasing who we were, but I think she underestimated how much crap we wanted to forget. You've always said that they were cursed to be the, their worst self, and I've actually kind of pushed back on that a couple times, because I think in many instances, they were cursed to sometimes be a better version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Ruby not having to be the wolf was probably a relief for her. Um, but not... If, if that had happened to her earlier, yes, but she had learned to control the wolf and embrace it by the time she was... That's true, but I still yeah. think that like there were... She didn't know she was a wolf during the curse, mm-hmm. so she didn't have to live with the guilt of having eaten her boyfriend. Archie didn't have to live with the guilt of being the reason that Geppetto's parents returned to wood. Like, there were a lot of them who were doing so much jacked up stuff mm-hmm. that that curse was a bit of a blessing at times. It's true. I I also thought it, uh, Whale's line when she says something about the price of magic and he says, from where I'm sitting, it seems that science has a price too. I think that's a great line. I also think it's something to like, it isn't magic that is the, the problem. Like the problem is often that like things just come with a price because we've often looked at magic like, oh, it's something bad will happen for the something good. It's like, but that can be true even without magic. Like sometimes there are just consequences for actions and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It, it often seems that the, the problem with the price of magic is that you don't get to decide how it is played out. Yeah. And in real life, you should be able to ascertain what the consequences are of your I actions. mean, maybe, but like... Unintended consequences, I guess. Well, and also think of like Snow and Charming. They The consequence of them finding each other is that they always lose each other. Yeah. So like there's no... I mean, I guess there's magic involved because there's true love, but that's the consequence unintended they didn't know that was going to happen but they always lose each other and they constantly have to fight to get back to each other like that that is the consequence for wanting to be happy anything else before we talk about favorite moment um i I, last thing i want to talk about was ruby and whale i love them together and i actually think they should have paired them up oh interesting because i think it's an interesting it went from him just hitting on her because she was attracted to them actually having he even says from one monster to another I didn't feel any romantic chemistry or anything during that scene. Not I, there, but you could have built off of it. Is what I I'm think they also could have just been friends. Sure, I don't um, think they have to be together. They could be friends. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if we just gave these people more screen time and meaningful things to do. But I also think you could have had Whale being the person who doesn't just see her as the hot girl who's a monster like whale actually does have depth even uh-huh. though he's not cur- you know when he's not cursed he's not just a hey do the nuns date like he actually has some some tragic backstory he's lost mm-hmm. a loved one so you could see them bonding over that yeah that that line was really funny with the like <laughs> do you know if the nuns can date yeah but it i i also it, it felt like it cheapened dr whale because because obviously dr whale cursed dr whale is a complete lech yeah but Dr. Frankenstein is, like, a very complex person, and he had his memories back at that point, and for some reason they were just like, we're just going to throw in this comic line from Lechy Dr. Whale. I actually think it fits because if you're a man trying to escape your troubles, mm. they often turn to booze and women. Okay. So there could be... From what we learned in this episode, I could see him trying to essentially throw himself away from his grief by drowning himself in alcohol or women. Yeah. Which is pretty common. That's true. Other than that, I'm good. Um, for an episode that I really liked, I had a hard time choosing favorite, most ridiculous loser and winner in this episode. I only struggled with winner, and I ended up coming with first, second, and third. Okay. I I had no one written when we started, but I have I have someone now okay. for winner. Who? But fa- favorite moment, starting with that. I have two. I also have two. What are your two, go? 
Mine are both Rumple things. Mine are both Rumple things too. <laughs> um, Rumple saying, "So glad I don't give a damn." It's one of mine. It's a great line. He delivered it really well. It has those nice little, almost like William Shatner esque pauses, but they don't come off cheesy like when William Shatner says them. Um, and Rumple cashing in his favor. That was like a really long. They made us wait for that for a really long time. Do we have the same two? No. Oh, you're just nodding. Mine, mine comes right after that. Okay. So I agree with you that I'm just so glad that I just don't give a damn. The favor was great, but there's nothing better than, and if any harm comes to Belle while I'm gone, I'm killing all of you. Like just the way he says it, and it's it's like the uh, line that he gives to August. If you know who I am, then you know who I am. Something else that's really interesting about that line that I hadn't thought of until just this moment. He totally means that, but also... He is putting a degree of trust in these people. Like, he knows that they have the skills and ability to protect Belle. What's also interesting is that, like, that's the first time I've ever seen Charming look afraid of Rumpel. Mm. Like, most of the time, he is not afraid of him, but he now realizes that Rumpel will kill him. And he'll kill... Not just him. Henry. (laughs) He'll kill Henry. He'll kill Emma. He'll kill Mary Margaret. He'll kill literally all of them. And they know he will do it. And the fact that he delivers that line with no pause, they're like... Yeah, we better make sure that Belle does not die. Most ridiculous moment. Oh, this is the easiest choice in the world for me. Regina saw the scheme. She knew she was being manipulated and still got played. I have the same one. Cora pretending she found that handprint. Regina just having absolutely none of it. And then it works anyway. It just works anyway. I don't. <laughs> this is, it's almost like, I've said this before. It's like whiplash. It's, it's funny, when I when we were planning out the structure of this podcast, yeah. I envisioned Most Ridiculous Moment <laughs> as being more of, like, that ridiculous CGI scene where they, like, tried to make us think that they were in a library. And it has really turned into when characters do something that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> I think the CGI, like, sometimes it's so bad consistently that it doesn't bother me. But, like, it's the character inconsistencies that make me go, like, what the hell? It's, it's something that sits with me all the time related to the CGI piece. There's this, like, scene in season five where they're in a library. Like, a library. They're not in a magical castle or fighting dragons. They're in a goddamn library. And for some reason, they decided to CGI the library. I know exactly which episode I'm you're like, talking about. I'm like, could you... Like, what? It cannot be that expensive to fill a library with books. It had to have been more expensive to CGI this. And they have a library in Storybrooke that they use that's real. I know. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. I guess maybe for depth, like, they wanted to make it look unbelievably large. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Loser? Who else could it be? I have Regina. Yeah. I had a hard time choosing mainly because Regina's story is, like the the b plot of storybrooke like it's it's not the main thing yes. that's happening yep. um dr whale and every basically everyone else is like dr whale loses in in not the enchanted forest in black and white world transylvania transylvania but he uh he, i don't want to say he wins because he, he doesn't win he grows he grows in storybrooke <laughs> I would say that Gerhard would have been my runner-up for loser. Oh, that's a good one. Not only did he die, he literally killed his father and, and turned into a monster. And he wanted to die at the end and his brother wouldn't kill him. Like, there was a lot of losses going around. That's bad. So I think Gerhard is my runner-up. But Regina is a good, I mean, that ridiculous moment, for one. She just let herself be manipulated even though she knew that that's what was happening. And the hurt of thinking Henry came to see her. Oh, yeah. And then your mother was sniffing around in your house, figuratively and literally. And I think the thing that also is really hard, so her plan to bring Cora to confess what she had done would have worked. To like, a point. They were always going to see her as a snake, though. I don't know. If she... If she... I don't know that that's true. I think from Regina's perspective, it is hard to say that even if I do a good thing, you're always going to look at me as course. the monster behind this. And I think that's what Cora got her with, which is doesn't matter how many good things you do. They're always going to see you the way they see you now. The murder plot pretty much proved, and that's where Cora was smart. It doesn't really matter if I made it bad. They assumed it was you because this is how they look at you. So, like, no matter what, you're always going to be a monster. And honestly, I think it's the fact that Henry believed it is what bothers her. If Henry hadn't believed it, then I think she could be okay. Mm. But it's that they were able to easily convince Henry that she killed Archie. Yeah. Who's your winner? 
I have three because I went first, second, third. Okay. Uh, you want to go first? You want me? You can go first. Third place is Whale. I love the character growth in this one. I yep. think the conversation with Ruby is great. I like that he went from just shallow lech, even with a throwaway line at the beginning of season two, to like he's got depth. He has a backstory. He saves a man's life. Like, good job for him. Rumple. He gets the globe. That itself, and he gets uh, he gets the globe. And in Transylvania, he gets the thing that makes his monster, which is a very important piece for him. The globe is a really big win, and it's absolutely what he wants. I that scene with Belle where she smashes the cup is just too painful. I think it is a a bad loss, but this is the first time he knows where Bay is at. That to me is is the whole reason we're here. Yeah, so that is that kind of overrides Belle maybe not remembering him is that he now has a realistic pinpoint for where Bay is, which is what he's been going for Mm -hmm. for hundreds of years or whatever. But the winner of this is easily Cora. I also have Cora. I had no one throughout the the whole episode because I, I I had a hard time choosing Cora because she, what she does is just so bad. It shouldn't have worked one because Regina saw through it at first, but then it did anyway. So I guess that's a really good win. She like double incepted her daughter with manipulation. Um, I actually don't. I don't think it was the fact that it was like an inception. I think it was that it's like being able to tell someone that like, you know what I'm doing, but it doesn't matter because I'm right. Mm. And I think that's the point that really hurt Regina is that like, I know you're doing all these things and you're lying to me, but what you're saying still holds value Mm -hmm. because it is true. There is no way for me to ever redeem myself in these people's eyes. I think the other thing that I am struggling with with Cora is she claimed she has stated what she wants and she is getting it but i just don't understand why that's what she wants like i'm just really struggling and like how is this going to work in the long term manipulating your daughter into loving you is not the same thing as having a loving daughter (laughs) and i'm not sure that that's actually what she wants yeah i don't buy that (laughs) that's her end game i i look at her as a female version of rumpelstiltskin yeah she's always working diagonally yeah so there's this is not oh, I just want my daughter to love me. There is something that you are after, and we just don't know what it is yet. She has done such a good job of being menacing and creepy that like, she feels like the end game boss of this season. Mm. Like, she is the person that they're all going to have to unite and defeat because she's obviously got a plan that we don't know about. Yeah. Which, honestly, well done. That She is the villain that Regina was from last year. She has taken on that role. She's in control. I'm very curious to see what... like. If Regina and Cora are on the same side, that's a very scary deal. I think Emma or Mary Margaret makes that like comment. Like, if they're together, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because, I don't know, only Rumpelstiltskin would have a chance to stop them, and it's still two-on-one at that point. So, well done. Well, what are you looking forward to next week? What's our next episode? So, I was really looking forward to the episode called Manhattan, which I thought was our next episode. But, actually, our next episode is Season 2, Episode 13, Tiny. So... We know that Emma and Gold are leaving, which means there won't be Rumpel in the next episode. At least not in Storybrooke. Correct. I don't remember much of this episode. I think it's one of those ones that's like a one-off where it's a character who we haven't met yet. We're going to get his backstory. I'm assuming if this is Tiny, this is the giant. Yeah. We, I mean, we've met him. We have met him, but we've never gotten his backstory. That's true. We've never gotten I think, his backstory. I think we get the Jack and the Beanstalk. Yes, we Which do. I do like that story, mm-hmm. or uh, Enchanted Forest flashback. The victors, the victors are the ones that get to tell the story. We now get to know what the story is. I think it's misplaced, though. I agree. You needed to go to Manhattan next. Yeah. Like, that, that we've been waiting for this the whole season. Mm-hmm. Don't throw an episode between these two, because now I'm going to be watching Tiny go, can we just be done with this already? I also, Manhattan is a top five episode for me. Serious? Yeah, of the series. Is this your first top five episode? It, no, maybe. Because you didn't call Skin Deep one, which was shocking I didn't. Um, it might be my first. Wow. I don't know that I like it that much, but I'll be curious when we get I there. really like Hat Trick, too. Hat Trick is really good. And after... After, like, discussing and sitting with Skin Deep, I, it's it's very high. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know about top five. Also, we were talking about Tiny, and we've spent all the time talking about other episodes. I don't know that there's much about Tiny that I care about. Right. It's just I mean, a fine episode, but it's, it's in the wrong spot. Yeah. It should be later or earlier in the season. There's a really funny joke in the next episode that I'm looking forward to, though. Oh. Okay. <laughs> also, is he from Lost, the giant? He is, yeah. Uh, we did find out that this is in the same universe as Lost. 
Yes. I would love an episode where they go to the islands. <laughs> that would just be fun. I, I never watched they Lost. They fight the smoke monster and Is polar bears. Is there a smoke bears. monster once upon a time? No, there's not a smoke monster. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, there's a lot of... I feel like we didn't sell you very good on the next episode. But, but in you, two episodes. In two episodes. You got this. Please be sure to join us next time when we watch season two, episode 13, Tiny. And we will see you next time and two times after that as well. <laughs> <laughs>